0: So, Ammo, there are two kinds of people in this world. When telling them about this podcast, there are the ones that react with fear and the ones that react with absolute fascination. The questions that I get usually range from, are you okay? Death is super heavy to talk about, to, that's so fascinating. Tell me more.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's mostly that first one, though. Oh, yeah? Yeah, but people have been asking me if I've been all right for a long time, so it's all good.
0: Yeah, that's, I think that's the first question I asked you when we met. hmm I'm very yeah. used to it. <laughs>
1: uh, the thing I do think about a lot, the really sort of wide range of reactions we get about this podcast, the fact is that death is traumatic. It means never seeing someone you love again. It, it could mean slowly watching them fade away. Like, we understand how awful death is and how complex these discussions are, But then that's also why it's so important for us to examine death um, and open up discussions about it, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And part of it has to do with how society as a whole views the topic in general and how our culture relationship with death has changed over the years. So, how exactly do we get to this point of death being considered taboo today? Well, in this episode, we're going to look at Western attitudes towards death over the last thousand years or so. We'll focus on the work done by Philippe Aries, who is a French medievalist.
1: <laughs> that cannot be a real thing. It is. Well, and again, my business card literally says the word "memologist" on it.
0: Yeah, can you, first off, I love that your business card says that. Second, can you break down what that is?
1: Yeah. Um, first of all, it's not real. It's just something cool I put on my business card.
0: It's real. To, you can turn you, it into a thing.
1: I'm sh- Yeah. Uh, it's, I'm just good with memes, you know.
0: Yeah. I want to say, go, Tommy.
1: I am one with the memes.
0: Yeah. I want to say in a hundred years, that's going to be a legitimate title for people because they're going to have to sift through all of the memes we've created in the past like 10 years and analyze exactly what it means.
1: Oh yeah. And the, the no context ones that we get nowadays are going to be real interesting to look back on. Like there's just a, you know, in a hundred years, they'll say, "Hey, let's see what went on in this place in 2021." And there's just a picture of a cat tea posing, saying, <laughs> "The waffle has arrived." <laughs> and like, what, what do you draw from that?
0: Uh, oh my gosh, was it you? I was talking to. You, there was an article about memes being super nihilistic or morbid or very like dark. Like the humor just of everything has gotten super dark. Probably me, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be interesting how they look at memes about death and what we think of it at this moment. Yep. Philip Aries was a historian in the 80s who invented the field of study, the history of attitudes to death and dying. We'll be referring to his first major publication from 1974 called Western Attitudes Towards Death from the Middle Ages to the Present.
1: Ooh, Western Attitudes Towards Death from the Middle Ages to the Present. I wonder what this book could be about, guys.
0: We are going to find out. (laughs) He basically breaks down overall societal attitudes towards death into periods of time. The four separate categories that he identified are the tame death, which is pre-12th century, one's own death, which is the 12th century, remote and imminent death, which is before the 16th century, and forbidden death, which is the 20th century. You ready?
1: Oh, we've already got one foot in the
0: grave. Starting with the tame death, it's important to note that the term Western in this case is Aries retroactively referring to the Europe in the first three categories. To, the Europe. To, to, to Europe. <laughs> to Europe in the first three categories. Tame death is the time period before the Middle Ages, so that's pre-12th century, in Europe. People were somewhat more accepting of the idea of death since it occurred all around them.
1: Yep. Makes total sense. They'd have a, a closer relationship with death. If there's one thing about early Europe, it's the horrible living conditions, <laughs> deadly conflicts, high mortality rates, low life expectancy. Yeah, you know, they'd know about death. I'm, I'm getting the the image of someone surrounded by, like, a really stern family and the priest on their deathbed, that kind of era.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Typical. Standard. Standard Friday night, really. Absolutely. So due, due to their conditions, as you beautifully painted a picture of, People were super close-knit, with one death impacting the whole community, especially in poorer areas, so basically 99% of the population, as you kindly noted. Unlike modern times, it was customary for bereaved people to witness the actual occasion, the actual moment of death itself, and participating in rituals and ceremonies that seemed calmer and more acquiescing. I can't say that word. How do you say it?
1: That's because you only learned about it today.
0: I know. How do you say it?
1: Guys, she's trying to say acquiescing.
0: Acquiescing.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I even tried to spell it out. You
1: did. It's in red font. Not that we have a... What script? What script, guys? We don't have a script.
0: Acquiescing. The, The actual moment of death itself and participating in rituals and ceremonies that seem calmer and more acquiescing than anything else. Aries explains that his choice of the tame death title is to contrast the wild death of the 20th century, in which people fear and avoid death for reasons which we'll get to later. During the era of the tame death in Europe, the afterlife was seen as a final resting place for the dead, as it is for most Christians. The one fear at the time, though, was the idea that the dead would rise again to come and haunt the living. This resulted in bodies being buried away from cities and houses in churchyards. Ossuaries were also very common, as the people at the time didn't believe that graves should be permanent. That said, according to Ares, burial grounds were seen as a place to meet to dance and even gamble.
1: Sounds lit. What's an ossuary, though?
0: Basically, after a certain amount of time following a person's death, people would go and dig up their bones and put them into a box. And then that box would be placed in a building where other people's bones were put. This was considered the final resting place for the bodies and what people call ossuaries. I actually do remember visiting one of these places in Greece. Because the cities were so overcrowded, bodies would typically be exhumed after three years to put Mm -hmm. the person's bones in those places. What was it like? Surprisingly calming. Like I remember, mm. I don't, I'm pretty sure this actually happened. I highly doubt I made this up, but I, I went with my grandma. I know for a fact. And I think we went to, I know we, I went there, but I think it was to visit her dad. Okay. Yeah. And it was just, was. it didn't feel creepy. There were just a ton of boxes. And I remember at the time I wasn't sure what we were doing or like where we were. Mm-hmm. So I asked my grandma, I was like, oh, like what are in these boxes? Like what's going on? And she's like, oh that those are bones and I was like oh okay (laughs) that's that's how I found out about ossuaries
1: (laughs) interesting yeah so it's it's basically just like a smaller catacomb
0: catacomb catacomb Uh, yes exactly
1: I uh, I pronounce all silent letters like the one in uh pterodactyl starts with a p look it up pneumonia pneumonia
0: panomia oh you say it's so silky smooth Poonomia. Poonomia.
1: Um Anyway, I think it's interesting to think about these attitudes. So you talked about the singing and the dancing and how just okay they were with death, I guess. I think a lot of that comes from how commonplace executions were throughout this period of history. So executions were like going to the movies back then.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, yeah? yes, yes.
1: So 12th century Ammo and Maria would head out. We'd step over the mountain of bodies in the streets, uh, you know, to catch the latest execution. On the mm-hmm. way home, you know, we'd talk about, ah, oh, I don't know, I thought the first one was better. And then we talk about, yeah, the, the new one felt a bit, you know, commercial. You know, it did, it just felt like it was just trying too hard. But sequels are always disappointing. And then we'd all die. Of <laughs> the old sequel. Ad- yep.
0: It's his brother, yeah, Yeah. <laughs> from the other week.
1: That's it. And then, um We'd all die of old age at age thirty-two.
0: I I appreciate that's I appreciate that story though. I feel like realistically, because we're both ethnic or just like uh, not like um, standard European. You're what?
1: you're Greek. That's not how you this works. You
0: know what I mean. At the time, we mm-hmm. probably would not have just been free to roam around, to, especially together. Are you kidding? Yeah. Like not together, like, oh my god, a white woman and a and a brown man, what's going on? Mm-hmm. We probably would have died a lot earlier, also. I would have died in childbirth, and you would have died being a child soldier.
1: Nice. <laughs> yeah, you're right. We uh would never never got to see Too Fast Too Executioner. <laughs> Starring the famous, famous bard, Vincent of Diesel. Does <laughs> that thing, you know? <laughs> you know, like you know, oh, in the films, gosh. they're all like they- you can't choose your friends, but you can choose your
0: family. We need to tweet him after.
1: Yeah, Sparking and Diesel also, guys.
0: We'll cite the video that Am was referencing because uh, I had no idea what this is until I saw the video that he sent me later.
1: So what video? This is the first time you're hearing this. There is. No You've script.
0: said this to me in the past.
1: Mm-hmm. I have
0: family. and I always like. All right, that's just his voice that he's taking on. Oh, it's I- famous bard Vincent of Diesel. History. Historians are listening in on this and rolling in their grave. The next phase is one's own death or a death of the self. This is a more subtle shift in Western people's attitudes towards death that took place around the 17th century, also known as the high middle ages or the medieval period. Essentially, the idea of the individual evolves during this time. Culture began to move away from mass graves and ossuaries individual tombs grew in popularity as permanent homes for the dead. Due to living conditions, death was still very much a part of life, but since Christian teachings of the judgment that followed death, people became more conscious of their own personal place in the world. Their deaths and burials began to reflect this. This was actually the time that wills became more prominent. This allowed people to exert more power and control and force after their death. With Christianity came the idea of judgment in the afterlife, The afterlife at this time was also seen as a place where the dead continued to live, in a sense, either in heaven, hell, or in limbo.
1: Yeah, this this period of history is super interesting. Um, You know, it's obviously very Eurocentric, uh, you know, how we're taught history. So this period, you see a lot of the modern Christian imagery surrounding death start to emerge. So visuals of corpses, uh, skeletons as allegories of death. And later on, this all leads in the 14 and 1500s to what's called uh, Dance Macabre. Ooh. Which is, yeah, in the 1400s. Dancing? No, no, it's, a, you know, like that meme where it's like, bruh, This is how they would do it in the 14, they'd, like, <laughs> they'd be like, dance macabre, <laughs> bruh.
0: Oh my God, like these on the floor?
1: Yep, 100%. Oh my
0: God, that's the OG death drop.
1: 100%. But um,
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that was just
1: the, the dance macabre was sort of the movement of arts and aesthetics and even architecture, including what we associate with death now, basically.
0: Mm-hmm. Aries uh, actually also argued that this sort of artwork was meant to warn against immoral corruption and also express the love of life. The third phase is called Thy Death, or Remote and Imminent Death. This was pre-16th century, where death was still understood as inevitable, but advancements were being made to extend mortality and understanding life. This shift was partially because of the age of reason coming about. After seeing the Black Death decimate Europe and new advances in medicine, dance macabre was in full swing. Death was now seen as an entity that could be fought off until it couldn't any longer. This changed the way people viewed the act of dying. In the past, the brief took time to understand their loss, whereas now the grieving process became much more outwardly expressed.
1: Mm, it sounds a bit... That's where we see a lot of these dramatics come in, you know, where the, some of the living making it more about themselves than it is about the death.
0: Well, You're a Gemini, so you're used to being dramatic and making things about yourself.
1: Triceratops.
0: During this time, since people were more fearful of death and believed that it could be prevented or delayed for as long as possible, this turned into the society having a collective fear of being buried alive. This caused men to actually be hired to spend entire evenings in the graveyard, which is how the term graveyard shift was actually coined.
1: That's definitely one hell of a fear, being buried alive.
0: That's
1: terrifying.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Didn't they also have... um... Like a, uh, something with a bell attached?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Like those were called safety coffins. And these coffins had um, a, a specific type of a device for communication to the outside world built in, such as a cord attached to a bell that the person could ring if they became revived, so to say, after burial. The first one that was recorded um, being created was by the order of Duke Ferdinand of Brunswick before his death.
1: Yeah, and that's where the the term saved by the bell actually came from, Um, which was then, obviously, we know it very differently now. Um, Around this time, though, there was a lot of widespread poverty and still so many afflictions that would cause people to enter like a comatose-like state, Mm -hmm. um, be seen as dead, and then buried alive. Mm -hmm. So many stories of people opening tombs and coffins, uh, finding scratch marks inside... Meaning, obviously, they would, you know, that that's, sounds like an urban legend. It's a scary thought.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a show on Amazon Prime, I think, Netflix, one of the streaming services. And it's called Lore. And they actually give an example in the series of that happening to an actual like person and her mm-hmm. sister going and bar- like digging, her- digging up her sister because she had a dream that her sister was still alive. And she apparently saw uh, nail scratches on the coffin when they dug God. her up. Yeah. Yeah, super interesting. Forbidden death is the time period of the late 19th and early 20th century, where we begin to see modern attitudes to death start to appear. Western attitudes at this time now also include North America. As modern medicine took hold and hospitals became increasingly accessible, more and more people would die in them. Compared this to the tame death, when friends and family literally watched their loved ones pass away, sometimes in their arms, death was now removed from the eyes of a lot of people. Those who died in public would also be swept up and sent to a morgue. This helped to create a progressive fear of death and a taboo about its discussion, which is where we are similar to today. With quality of life increasing and mortality rates shrinking, the sentiment of life changed to pressure happiness and the idea that dying is a failure. Since death was now seen as scary and more tragic than ever, it was inherently considered as an off-limit topic. As a result, death was now seen as shameful, dark, and forbidden.
1: Oh, that's... Yeah, see, when you put it like that, that's... That's crazy, that shift. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds a lot like the hashtag toxic positivity movement.
0: (laughs) Hashtag, hashtag.
1: Yeah, you know how I feel about these morons. Yeah. Um, The denial of any negative emotions, you know... Like these guys, they do that usually in cursive on a pink background for an Instagram account called at <laughs> motivational mummy nineteen seventy
0: five. Oh, mummies again!
1: That's it. And they the thing with this kind of thought is it it doesn't allow people to process negative thoughts like yeah death in a healthy way because you're just you're just denying its existence. It's straight yeah. up repression, and as a Brit. I know how well repression works. Right? I really hope that's sarcasm. Yes, because I'm British. <laughs> <laughs> so this oh, so this idea of forbidden death just doesn't line up with mortality because not only are you lying to yourself, you're basically seeing the people who are trying to keep you alive, doctors, nurses, mm-hmm. healthcare workers, as failing if that doesn't work out.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So... This is why I have a massive problem with the phrase, oh, this person lost their battle with cancer. Because it's not just an affront to the deceased. It's an affront to their family, to the effort made by all of the healthcare professionals. Mortality isn't a contest between life and death. It's not this tug of war. Mm -hmm. I I see it anyway as more of a handing off process. There's no winners. There's no losers. you are just moving on. What do you mean by handing
0: off process? Like from one phase of quote-unquote existence to another or um
1: yeah in a sense less about existence but more about it's not a win or lose thing
0: Mm. and it's just yeah and viewing it
1: as that is a really dangerous way to to live your life you're setting yourself up for just terrible uh ways of processing
0: things that will happen to people terrible ways of processing maybe not even processing it at, at all yep. Yeah. Yeah, Back to repression. Yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the day, sometimes life sucks. Like, let's be real, right? You heard it first,
1: guys. You heard it first.
0: Breaking news. Water is wet. Um, (laughs) Sometimes life sucks. Yeah. And uh, we kind of prevent ourselves from being human and feeling those human emotions. And I'm a big believer of, there's this quote that says, what you resist persists. Mm. And if you are feeling a negative emotion, but you're completely resisting it and you're pushing it away, You are only making it get stronger and it will come back and it will kick your ass so hard. Uh, So just, if you're feeling an emotion, just sit in it and let it just go over you because guaranteed it's not, it's not guaranteed it's going to go 100% away or you'll never feel it again, but you will not have like a potential breakdown later because of it.
1: Yeah, I actually read an article uh, about how toxic positivity and... Like I said, the rejection of realities, like sadness and death, they're super harmful, uh, especially given the events of the last year.
0: Yeah, the past year has been one for the history books. What did the article say exactly?
1: So it referenced
0: a bunch of
1: studies. There was one, I think, from the late 90s that talked about how suppressing feelings can cause more internal psychological damage to your brain. Can
0: I just say we've been doing this since the 90s and we yeah. still are just completely messing it up.
1: hmm Yeah, we've been telling people probably before that, hey, guys, don't live like this. And what we do is proceed to live precisely like this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Can't tell me what to do. That's it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I remember in terms of the context of living like this, I had a one manager who... She, whenever she, when the, when COVID first kind of hit and she would ask like, how are you doing? Whatever the, whatever the case may be. If anyone said good or like, okay, she would just be like, uh, no. <laughs> what? How are you actually feeling? You need to give me more. Yeah. Like she would typically say, especially to me, cause I'd be like, I'm good. She's like, mm, no. say more. <laughs> uh, so very grateful to her.
1: I like that. Life is terrible, so you're not allowed to feel good. Tell me how you really feel.
0: Yeah, it's (laughs) Great. great. The final phase, forbidden death, refers to the complete shift away of people dying at home and more towards dying in a professional medical environment. As access to healthcare improved, more and more deaths now occur outside of the home. Today, assuming that your death isn't super sudden or super random, you're likely to die in a hospital this caused an even greater shift towards death being seen as a taboo topic. So in a way, we can thank medicine for the creation of this podcast.
1: There you go. Thanks, medicine, for paying my bills. (laughs) We don't get paid for this yet. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) Not yet. It's funny you you say the idea of forbidden death or invisible death, because I've got a good topical example of this. Mm -hmm. The COVID denial movement, And I use the term movement in the same way that leaning over to fart is a movement. (laughs) It's not, you know what I mean? You can attribute that to the concept of forbidden death or Mm -hmm. invisible death. Because Mm -hmm. the worst COVID cases and the ICU and all of these end of stage cases for COVID occur in hospitals away from most people's eyes. Some people are so far removed from the reality of COVID, that deniers then get that sense of confirmation bias because they haven't firsthand seen what it can do to people or how many people are sick. Like, I spoke to my friend back home. He's an anesthetist. And in the UK, as you can see, the, the uh, currently the climate is, yay, cases are falling, mm-hmm. this is happening, it's great. But what he was saying is that, ICU has been more than a more of a mess than ever before. Yeah. So, and to me, especially living abroad now from the UK, it just highlights how much we're shielded from the horrors of any given situation for our own good. But this is a really unfortunate side effect of it.
0: Is it, is it for our own good though? Like, first I want to say, I'm really glad that you brought this up as an example because it's the perfect example for per what we're living in right now. Mm-hmm. And it's it's true, we're removed from it, and it also we still have the belief that it can't happen to us because we're so removed from it. Like the idea that like, oh, it'll happen, but not anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, as it comes to to the whole COVID situation, at the end of the day, seeing numbers on a screen does not show the the true impact of what's happening in the hospitals and doesn't show the ripple effects this is happening on people's mental health, people's general health and well-being. Let alone the medical staff that are being affected by this every day. So just this is such a phenomenal example of of this.
1: Yeah. And it's it's also because people are idiots. But that's but a too. whole different that's a whole different podcast.
0: Yep. Whole episode, whole series on that actually. <laughs> so have we
1: are these all the periods outlined? Have we completed the Western Attitudes to Death course?
0: Yeah, so the one by Aries are, are all done. After his death, though, there was a proposed fifth phase called Spectacular Death by Michael Leal Jakobsen. I hope I got that right. Out of the Department of Sociology and Social Work from Aalborg University in Denmark. Not sure mm. if I got that one right.
1: Spectacular Death. Not to be confused with Fabulous Death. Because that involved glitter.
0: That would be your death. Absolutely fabulous. An excerpt from his paper is called Spectacular Death, proposing a new fifth phase to Philip Aries' admirable history of death. It reads, What is currently happening in contemporary Western society can be interpreted as an expression of a partial re-reversal of forbidden death. Basically, what that means is it's this weird obsession we have right now with death where we want to know absolutely everything about it, but we want to keep it at a distance, far away from us." That is the best way I can explain it without reading his entire journal to you guys.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think, obviously, I have a limited experience with with this, but that's that's why I'm here. Um, This idea of spectacular death, I think, would allude to that romanticism around death, mostly because of Hollywood, Mm -hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So you were in school at some point. You must have been tricked into seeing like a horrific murder video or a beheading or something at some point,
0: right? Yeah, I remember one specifically, and it was just one of those posts where it was like, click this link. It's so funny. Ha, ha, ha. And then I just never clicked any more links that boys from school sent me.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Because it wasn't funny. Ha, ha, ha.
0: No, it was not. Okay. It was not. Right. <laughs> that's That's the thing is
1: in the Middle Ages, obviously, as we were going to see, too Fast, Too Executioner, starring Vincent of Diesel. <laughs> we would see death often enough to know the realities of it, the sort of disgusting, gory, smelly, slimy reality of death, right?
0: You're painting so many vivid pictures today. I love it. So great. Yeah. it stands macabre. <laughs> Bruh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so the juxtaposition of us growing up on heroic slow motion movie deaths with minimal gore so they can still get that coveted pg rating right that doesn't prepare us for death in the real world does it
0: no not at all not at all
1: (laughs) exactly and i've i've been around the darker parts of the internet long enough to know that people don't just dramatically fall backwards
0: (laughs) say a one-liner and then close their eyes so with that i also do want to note that when you hear someone in, in the course that i'm taking for thanatology they actually say, yeah, when someone's stabbed or shot, it's very, very, very unlikely that they will die in that moment. Mm-hmm. They, it's typically they take either several hours or even days to actually end up dying. Uh, yeah. So the, the the entire idea that like you just shoot someone in the chest once and then they just fall and they're like, oh, Robert, forever miss me. <laughs> yeah. Farewell and then just, like, roll over and close their eyes. Like, that's not how it looks. That's not how it happens.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I remember reading this a few years ago, actually, that obviously because of the adrenaline and all of that stuff, you don't Mm -hmm. actually feel getting shot or stabbed. Um, People only fall over and fall to their knees in shock once they've realized they've been shot, Mm -hmm. etc. There's a famous interview with a a UFC fighter called Darren Till, Mm -hmm. and he was talking about how he got into a fight in a nightclub, and he thought he got punched and he'd actually been stabbed in the back. <gasps>
0: oh my God. Uh,
1: like a, a lot. Like How many times? Uh, pin cushion amount of times. It was in the double digits. And he thought he was just punched? He thought just someone was punching him in the back uh, in, in the little hustle and bustle with the... Oh
0: my God. Yeah.
1: yeah, and that's the thing is past that stage, it all gets... Much uglier, you know, there's the death rattle. So, yeah. most people confuse it for snoring, but it's really agonal breathing. Um, and that's what is that? It's that sort of snoring when someone starts to die, it's their body shutting down, usually due to like trauma, like traumatic deaths. Mm-hmm. They cough, they wheeze, they splutter, and they give off signs that almost convey they're still alive, but they're in that it, it's horrible and it's traumatic, and it's it's really disturbing stuff, but it exists in this sort of gray area between life and death that I talked about earlier.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: um and the these are the realities of death that we've yeah. removed from our day-to-day lives. And it can obviously affect people today because we don't see it as much,
0: yeah. I have one more story. I was on. i I follow this woman, and she's either a nurse or a death doula. I can't remember her exact title. And she was posting about how she was by someone's bedside when they died, and elderly woman, very elderly woman. Her daughter was was there, um, but her daughter had stepped out, and um, she ended up ended up passing that, uh, when the nurse was in the room. Jeez. The nurse said that the woman woke up for like a second, screamed, and then. Passed back out, and Whoa. like, and then flatlined, like officially. So she died, woke up screaming, and then died again. And the nurse was like, "That's that's what happens sometimes." She fully said, "Yeah, that's that's not the first time it's happened." Can you imagine? That's insane. Yeah. Wow. 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 <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting. The nurse said that with such. Uh, calmness because mm-hmm. she would see that every day yeah um you know we when we don't re-expose ourselves to the horror of dying and don't get me wrong the act of dying is horrific it's painful and ugly yeah um and nobody should have to see it it's awful yeah. but that shouldn't mean that we can't have conversations about that and what happens after that the act of death right education and death literacy are crucial to coming to terms with our mortality. So there has to be a way that we can do that without the horror of death. As a result, we can, we'll can we be able to more openly discuss our demise. We'll be able to plan for it financially, yeah. mentally, spiritually, religiously, without the trauma of the past categories that we've kind of laid out.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, You know I'm personally huge when it comes to education, especially when it comes to children's education. Mm-hmm. It kind of sounds like you're proposing a sixth phase that should be taught to everyone. What we should we call it? Philotimo Life? Is that too much of a plug? Am I plugging ourselves too much?
1: Uh, <laughs> we'll let the Philotimites
0: decide. Oh, my gosh. Did we just... Wow. Did we just name our listeners?
1: No. We created... A Thumbler.
0: <laughs> Oh my gosh! Nice, wonderful, good, <laughs> fantastic. To to those listening, what did you think about these phases? Let us know which phase you'd like to propose next uh, in the comments, email us, tweet us, whatever you'd like.
1: Pigeon, send me a pigeon letter. Pigeon, oh, no, like doves attached to the pigeon. Obviously,
0: I want I want doves. They're the same type of bird, but it's fine.
1: Okay, whatever aviary aviary
0: uh (laughs) kind of it has to fly to us Emma wants it to fly to us Mm
1: -hmm.
0: that's because I live on the 39th floor (gasps) paper plane yeah okay thank you for listening to this episode of Life. you can find us online at Life. that's p-h-i-l-o-t-i-m-o-l-i-f-e Remember to subscribe now to join us as we breathe some life into the conversation around death.